welcome to another episode of Two Guys, One Topic. I'm Ollie. And I'm Liam. And for those of you that don't know, or if we've got any new listeners, each week we take a topic that we know very little about and we give ourselves a week to read and research all about it, with the idea being that we share what we feel are some of the most important pieces of information with you, our listeners. That is exactly it. And so everybody knows we are not experts in anything that we talk about on the pod. This is just a summary of our findings. Hopefully, by sharing some knowledge with you, we can all learn a little bit more about a whole lot of things. Exactly. Now, this week's episode, as we approach the end of our series, I guess, is my choice. So I got to choose this episode and you had to do whatever I picked. And randomly this week, I picked that we would do magic. Liam, this week's topic is magic, as you just said there, and this was your choice. So I had to do it and do whatever topic you decided to choose. Can you let everybody know why was it that you wanted to get into this and what did you know about it before the research? Well, I love magic. I, I love it. I, I watch videos of magic on YouTube all the time. I, particularly if you don't watch Penn and Teller's Fool Us, I mean, that's like the modern the, the program that's on all the time at the minute. I, they got so many cool magic tricks on there. And the, the point is, so Penn and Teller are some famous magicians and they get, they get other magicians up on stage. The magicians perform a trick and Penn and Teller have to work out how the trick is done. Um, but obviously they don't let you know. They just let the magician know if they know it. But yeah, I, I just love watching magic. I, I, I don't really know what. I just wanted to know a bit more about it. I, I thought as I was watching one of the episodes, oh, I'm going to Google the magic circle. I don't know anything about that. Where did magic come from? Oh, here we go. This will be a topic we do. So, uh, yeah, I I guess, you know, what about yourself? Do you know anything about magic? (laughs) I know that I can do one trick and I can fool my young children with it. I can make a coin disappear and then make it reappear somewhere else, like from behind their ear or something. That's that's my one trick that I can do. It's pretty good. (laughs) It can fool like a (laughs) five-year-old. I don't know how else it would yeah, go on with fooling anybody else. But um, but no, I, I I like magic myself as well. I was really interested in getting into this. I'd never even thought about the history of it or where it had come from or anything in the past. And I, I just quite like being fooled. I quite like not knowing how tricks are done and just enjoying it for what they are. So yeah, I was really looking forward to getting into this. Yeah, that's um part of like the point of magic, isn't it? To, to sort of suspend disbelief and you know everybody knows it's not really magic but that whole well I'd like to know how that was done but also I don't really want to know how that was done keep it secret that sort yeah. of thing yeah exactly and you know the, the thing is that the people of all ages absolutely love magic from children seeing it like a, a friend's birthday or, or adults watching it on tv like you're saying watching Penn and Teller or even like buying tickets and going to performances I've been to been to a magic show when I was over in Vegas, which was pretty cool. Went to see someone called Lance Burton. Um, but yeah, it just captivates audiences for like loads of different reasons. It's, you know, that that disbelief or you're just trying to figure it out or enjoying seeing people's reactions or, you know, people putting themselves in dangerous situations and thinking, oh, I hope nothing bad happens to them. But yeah, it's something that has been around for a long, long time, it turns out, and has been fascinating humans for it turns out for about over two and a half thousand years, hasn't it? Well, four and a half thousand years, because you've misread your timeline there. It was two and a half thousand 
BC. So that's, oh, yeah. that's getting on for four and a half thousand years. <laughs> so, yeah, point. yeah, so we both each week then we start with, you know, let's start with some history and just see, is there anything that, that's interesting to find out? But that there is some debate whether this is true or not, but there are some some scrolls or some writing aren't there or something from they, they think this was around the egyptian time like two and a half thousand bc a magician named Dedi or Didi. yeah i'll go with Dedi. yeah he performed an animal decapitation trick so what he would do is <clears throat> cut the head off an animal but then put it back on again and replaced it and yes. that would mean that he could predict the future and then the king would use him to make pro- prophecies and things like that and but there's some debate about whether that is is true. Uh, but it was the also. Other, did you read the other one about about some paint, some Egyptian painting? Yeah, there's 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 the other one where they don't know if he's credited with actually being the first person to do the cup and balls trick, which yeah. they they think he might well have done. They've seen something on um, some ancient paintings where it looks like that it could be depicting the person doing that. I don't know. Is it worth just explaining what the cup and ball trick is? Yeah. It's the one where, you know, you see them like um, those hustlers in markets and things when you go on there, you know, they got like three shells and a little ball and you got to just guess where the ball is. You know, it's like balls in the middle cup, move them all around. Where's the ball now? Yeah. That sort of trick. But obviously the magic trick is a bit more elaborate than that. It's to do with sleight of hand and you sneak a ball out and then suddenly there's two balls under one cup. And then next minute, you know, there's an orange underneath the cup and you've got no idea how that got under there. <laughs> and it's that sort of, you see it quite a lot. Um, I think I've seen it at Covent Garden every time I've been to London, some yeah. guy doing the cups and balls trick. There's normally someone around. So we so we don't know. So Didi might have done the first cup and ball trick around two and a half thousand BC, going back around Egyptian times. So we're, we're not entirely sure, but that seems to be what a lot people seem to claim but we know for absolute certain if we fast forward a couple of thousand years to 50 50 AD between 50 and 300 AD during the Roman Empire that we know that the cup and ball trick was absolutely being being used in place Um, and it it was performed by a group of people called the Ace Tabulari or Ace Tabulari I read it as I read it Akitabulari. So I don't know which one it is. I'd like to know if someone is a is a Roman historian and they could tell us. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they, they would perform the cups and balls trick using small stones and small vinegar cups. And this is documented and like it's definitely true that this was happening, you know, like you like you just said, sometime just at the start of AD, like between fifty and three hundred AD yeah. sort of time. So what they would be doing is around him, around them, we know that they were doing sleight of hand tricks, um, but it was also it was used for a few different purposes. So it was used in some form of entertainment at fairs and shows, but they also know that it was used in also a con artist, um, like manipulative way as well. So like you say, and those people in Covent Garden, or you see wherever you might go on holiday where they've got the cup and balls, people have been doing that trick for years and years to con people out of money, getting them to bet on how many little balls are under one of the egg cups, whatever it might yeah. be. My dad got done with that. He said he could see the ball. He said they'd rested the cup on the ball. So the ball wasn't under the cup, but it meant you could see it. So then, then he stupidly put 50 euros on it 
and then they lifted the lid off and the ball wasn't there. Because <laughs> So is it worth just saying sleight of hand is where you like, you move something without, or you hold something in your hand without anybody noticing it, isn't it? It's like a, it's a, it's a move magicians make. So it looks like you haven't got anything in your hand, but really you've got a ball in your hand and you're hiding it in your knuckle or something like that. Yeah, that's right. Or or it's the ability to maybe flick one of those balls so quickly that you, you don't really have any movement in your hands, but you then get stuff to jump from one hand to the other. Um, yeah, yeah, sleight of hand. It's it's one of those things it takes an awful lot of skill and practice to get really good at, but people absolutely can, so, can get up and do it. So we know that the... Um... The magicians, we know that this was happening in about, you know, the year 300. But then, like you were saying, because it started becoming a bit of like a trickster and a, you know, sort of, you know, not very honest sort of thing. It it sort of died out, didn't it, around for the, like the next, what, like 1,200 years. Like it's sort of dark times for magic because it tend, it got linked towards like witchcraft and the occult and sort of bad things and it sort of got a bit of a bad rep and sort of disappeared didn't it yeah yeah massively yeah it fell into disrepute they magicians started to get linked to the occult and magicians were then thought of as sorcerers and witches and um going back to the, the roman times they were then thinking that it was maybe part of like pagan and it wasn't christian christianity that was happening and so they got a lot of bad press and then they ended up being persecuted by the church and by authorities because they were thinking that they were people with these special powers who could possibly control things and um, foretell the future and as you were saying earlier yeah so it, so it wasn't really around and that, but then in in 1584 there's an englishman called reginald scott who wrote a book called or a pay i think it must have been a book called the discovery of witchcraft and his point was trying to be to show that there is no such thing as witchcraft and he was trying to sort of big up magic a little bit i guess and say like this isn't witchcraft this is just people being very skilled and tricking people but it it didn't have the desired effect did it <laughs> no no exactly so he was trying to reveal the secrets of magicians and say no 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 we're we're not witchcraft but we're we're just tricking you and that then got yeah. people more upset because they then said, hang on, <laughs> what are you doing? Why are you playing tricks on us? That's that's not what you should be doing. Yeah, and then there were some other books written and you know, it started to just pick up a little bit, but it was about, it was the turn of the 1800s, wasn't it, really, where, it, where we started seeing magi- um, magic, as we sort of see it today, with a French magician by the name of Jean Eugene Robert Houdin. Now, notice I didn't say Houdini. This isn't Houdini, but we'll come to that in a minute. Jean Eugene Robert Houdin, who's known as the father of modern magic. He was born in 1805, um, and he he is the person who is credited with really sort of getting magic back into the mainstream. He started doing shows, you know, in theatres and really started to get it out there, didn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so... He, he brought it off the streets, basically, like streets and little sideshows and circuses and, and got people coming into theatres and watching him perform. And he'd have more of a, um, yeah, a show, if you like, going along with it. So, yeah, so that was that was Jean, Eugene Robert Houdin. Very, very quickly, did you read about how he got into magic? Oh, yeah, this is an interesting story. Go on, yeah, tell everyone. So this guy is the, is, 
is the daddy of modern magic, right? It considered as much. But he was actually trying to be a clockmaker. His dad was quite a famous, it was a clock, I don't know what they're called, some sort of, I can't remember the name is for a clockmaker. But he got some books, or he ordered some books based on clockmaking because he had to learn about them. And they accidentally sent him some books on magic. And obviously, instead of sending them back, he read these magic books and then, you know, was sort of inspired to take up magic, which is nuts because he was going to become a clockmaker. Um, That's brilliant. That's so good. So good how he nuts, isn't it? Just completely changed his his way of um his way of like what would happen to him in the future. Yeah, he's he's credited with being the father of of magic, and a lot of people looked up to him. And so he said that he was 1805, but he died in 1871. In 1874 was the year that Harry Houdini was born. And he then became, you know, the super famous. Um, escapologist and magician, king of the handcuffs, used to get known as. Um, he was somebody who, yeah, really then pushed the boundaries of, of magic and performing even far, even further. And he credited massively John Eugene Robert Houdin as being the person who inspired him to go on and do what Houdini did. Yeah, he took the name, didn't he? Because his his name for the is not Harry Houdini. He was no. Eric Bites. Yep, and uh, yeah, he he basically took on the net, took on his name, I guess, and um, used it. Um, I read a yes, we'd have heard of Harry Houdini. He's the escapologist. I read a really cool story about one about he he'd used to up on stage, tie me up, I will escape from whatever knots you can tie or whatever. And in one show, a sheriff stood up and went, "Well, I've got these handcuffs. You'll never get out of these." And he he took the handcuffs and put them on him, and Harry Houdini still escaped from them, which is nuts. Yeah, it's like that's a dangerous thing to do, isn't it? And then he, you know, he basically started doing, you know, he'd get hung up. He he did a very famous trick called the Chinese water torture, where he'd get hung upside down and dropped into a into a tank of water. Yes, while he's tied up or straight jacketed and handcuffed and still escape. Yeah, and he was, yeah, it basically exploded from there, didn't it? I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. With with Houdini, he was actually credited as being like a master locksmith, and okay. actually knowing. Like had a remarkable knowledge of how to unpick locks and how lock locking devices actually worked. So it, it sort of like played into his hands. Like, and, and he claimed as well that he had a photographic memory for being able to memorize all different types of knots um, or, or ropes that you might get tied into. But yeah, he, and, uh, he did some incredible feats of magic. And he did not die in one of his tricks, which is like one of those famous mis, mis, uh, what's conceptions. The word? Like, yeah, misconceptions. He died of appendicitis. He did, he did not die. Nobody had to smash him out of a cage with an axe or any of that rubbish. He he died from appendicitis, uh, which I thought, because I, I I thought I'd read that he died in one of his tricks. But ah, okay. Yeah. So he, did you read that he died on Halloween and he got punched in the stomach a few days earlier? Yeah. And then there was a lot of debate about whether the punch caused the appendicitis or not. And then there was a report in like 2013 or something that said um, blunt force trauma doesn't cause appendicitis. And it's very likely a massive coincidence. They already had it. And then when he got, he got punched, um, he got punched by a medical student to, to show how strong he was or something. That's it. Yeah. 
And um, I think one of his tricks was being fired by a cannonball into his stomach and withstanding it. Like his abdomen was that strong that he could okay. withstand it. So um, yeah, and somebody punched him. Um, but yeah, but so so we we've gone right from from magic to two and a half thousand BC all the way bringing it up into around the 1900s. And it then started to become really respectable around the 1900s and just really started to, to grow and grow from there. One of the things that we could have said at the beginning, Liam, is you're Mr. Etymology normally, but I don't think you delved into it too much this week, did you? Where the word magic comes from. No, well, you said you was going to take up the mantle this week. So I'm just, you know, you've got sometimes you've got to let people go. <laughs> and it's time to let you spread your wings and let our <laughs> listeners know where does the word magic come from? <laughs> I like that. That's good. So the terms etymology of magic, it derives from Magina. And they were the first people who used to perform magic acts. And I'm doing like air quotes there. And they were Persian priests. So this is going back, um, you know, two and a half thousand, two thousand BC ish. And these were people, these were religious people. So in Persian, they're known as Magosh. And in Greek, they're known as Magoi. And it just sort of over the years translated into magic. But these priests, what they would do is if somebody was unwell, they would then perform a trick or a ritual to make them better. And it was like they were performing magic. And so over the years, it just sort of then carried on growing and has evolved to be how we now know the word magic today. Very proud of you, Ollie. You did that very well. You've done that good. Well done. I think our listeners will give you a big old thumbs up for that one. That was a beautiful piece of explanation. We'll have a piece of that. Right, so in terms that? of, we've got, we've got magic, we've brought them up today. We know about some famous people who are in there, but there's a bit of a consistent theme with how people look and what you expect a magician to look like, isn't there? Uh, yeah. If we went out in a fancy dress as magicians, guarantee everyone turns up in a top hat with a cane, yeah. with a moustache, with tails on, with white gloves on, looking as, look, basically looking like a really posh person. Like a magician? <laughs> yeah. But it's really interesting. Why? So we, we said... There's this famous magician, Jean-Eugene Robert Houdin, who's known as the father of modern magic. We were saying how he um, he's credited with like starting up these theatre shows and really starting to make it a bit of a big deal magic. But he would dress like that. And the reason he would dress like that is because he wanted to look like wealthy and well-to-do and upper class because they are the people he wanted to come to his shows. That was his demographic. And he knew that if he would dress like that, he could get those sort of people into the theatre, thus increasing, you know, the, the people that are watching him and, yes. and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So we looking into this, I think he used to dress really smart and he's credited as being, yeah, looking smart to then attract people of a higher class and posh people to come and watch him. But I think the person who is credited with magicians all wearing top hats is someone called Alexander Herman, who was known as Alexander the Great. He was a French magician and he was about 50 years after Jean-Eugene Robert Houdin. And he was the first person to perform the trick of pulling a rabbit out of the hat. Yeah. And so I... Yeah, yeah think that's where he then might be then credited with the top hat 
of magicians and since then people would would then dress the same as what um this alexander herman would dress yeah maybe like you were saying he was born like 40 something years after houdin so i would imagine houdin was already performing before alexander herman was but yeah maybe i think maybe he included a top hat into one of his shows once to to pull a rabbit out and sort of the two the two sort of get up sort of combined together to form the get up that we we now know he was also credited with like the bullet catch trick. You know, the one where someone would fire a bullet and you catch okay. it in your mouth. Yeah. Yeah. No, just, I mean, that one's for me. You know, I'm not <laughs> sure being hung upside down into a tank of water like Houdini did was for me neither, but certainly not going to be trying to catch a bullet in my mouth. <laughs> no way. No, thank you. But all these, all these different magicians that we we've spoken about, they then decided, well, not, not these specific ones, but magicians in general then decided that they wanted to have their own little association where they were all clubbing together. And you mentioned it last week and at the beginning of this episode, wanting to learn a little bit more about the magic circle. And once I got looking into it, it turns out the magic circle, it's a British organization and it's just dedicated to the advancement of magic, isn't it? Yeah, it's basically, it's most simplest. And we don't need to go back into the history of that one necessarily. It's just a club for people who like magic and are magicians, whereby, you know, they'll meet up, they'll discuss magic, they'll share ideas, they'll, you know, improve each other. Um, Yeah, it's just basically like a gang of magicians. And it's up to like 1,500 members at this point. Uh, But it's based in London, isn't it? I think it's in somewhere in Soho. Yeah. And it's it's called the Magic Circle. Um, Like you said, it's the, the point is to um, promote and advance the art of magic. It's got a good saying though, doesn't it? Have you got the Latin quote there? Ah, uh, of course, yeah. Indolisis privata loqui. Which means? It roughly translates to not apt to disclose secrets. Oh, and have this for a piece of thing I've just about it noticed. I think the word loquacious means chatty. So that low quiet at the start end of it has that got something to do with talking? Yeah, I think you're that's onto that, cool, isn't it? I don't. That's pretty. Cool. I wonder if that's true. I don't even teach English, but I do know the word. I think the word loquacious is chatty. So low nice. quiet at the end of that has, might have something to do with basically nobody talks about magic club. What's the Fight Club rule? First, first rule about magic club is nobody talks about magic club. <laughs> basically, so we, we didn't actually say. So the magic circle is founded in 1905. So it's been going for, you know, 120 years, roughly. Um, there were 23 amateur and professional magicians who got together and they thought, well, let's let's have this, this club where we can discuss and talk about magic and, and do what we need to do. Um, and it was an all-male club until 1991. So it's only, yeah. uh, you know, relatively recently where they'd ever let any women in. But um, yeah, they all seventy five percent of the members voted to say yeah we we should be letting women into this as well. And there's a few famous females in there. One of them being Paul Daniels' wife, Debbie McGee. Mm, nice. Do you know they've also got a group for um, under 18s because Harry Potter, back in like the early two thousands, made magic quite a big deal. So uh, they, they had a lot of young people trying to get into ma- magic and things. So they, they they've got like a a younger section of the magic circle as well. And there's there's different sections to it, as you were saying. So you can either just be a, a regular member, but the way that you get in is you either have to do a performance exam, so you need to be showing off your tricks, 
or you can get in by doing a written thesis on a branch of magic, which is then reviewed. And oh, to even get into that position in the first place, you need to be vouched by two members um, to then allow you to perform or for you to then have a written thesis. Yeah, exactly. I thought that when I was reading that this week about being vouched by two other people. Um, But then there's, there's another level up, isn't there? So you can then be, you can either be a regular member or you can then go on and get into a more exclusive part of it and be an associate of the inner magic circle. So an AIMC, or you can then go one step further and this is the, the super-duper elite within the society, and there will only ever be 300 members within this part. These are the, the creme de la creme of the magicians, and you have to do further tricks and um, prefer, perform more magic, be innovative, and come up with new ways of magic, and that's where you can then get into something called the inner magic circle, and that's the thing that I suppose everybody wants to get to, but there'll only ever be 300 of those people. There are some strange members of the Magic Circle, though, aren't there? I think Stephen Fry's a member of the Magic Circle, isn't he? Yeah, I reckon he must have written a thesis. Yeah, so is Prince Charles. Yeah, do you reckon he wrote a thesis as well? No, I read he actually did a cups and balls. This is true, this is not a joke. I read that he actually did a cups and balls trick, but <laughs> that as he was doing it, as he was doing it, uh, the the certificate or whatever it is, the, the contract that gets him in or whatever had already been signed, so it was like sort of a publicity stunt. Uh, like, but yeah, he's in. Uh, but some super famous magicians in there that you would have heard of, you know, the likes of Dynamo and and whoever. Yeah, um, and then just didn't plan this, but I then bumbled into something called the Magic Castle. You yeah, that? I came across this. I came across this. Is it pretty much? An American version of the Magic Circle. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, opened in 1963 after a bit of stop starting. Um, they've got something called the Academy of Magical Arts. Um, it's an internationally recognised organisation. Um, and yeah, th- their point is very similar. They just want to promote magic. They, they want to, whose purpose is to advance the art of magic in America and to bring recognition to the magicians of the world. Yeah. So this one, so the Magic Castle, our, our American listeners probably would have heard of this. It is a clubhouse or a country house, and it's located in Hollywood in L.A. And they say it's the most unusual private club in the world. That's almost what they they label themselves as. And again, you need to be really good at magic to get in to be one of the, the full members within the place. And there's a whole load of funny rules that they have. So apparently there's not even a proper front door to get in. And there's this little owl statue that you need to talk to. You need to say a special code word to, which then Uh. opens up this bookcase, which isn't actually a door, but opens up this bookcase to then allow you into into the place. And there's loads of small dining rooms and uh, private members clubs. And there's a super strict dress code about this place. But they, they mainly have magicians and they are allowed to invite guests along. But there are other people who can go along to it as well, aren't there? Yeah, it's not just magicians at this. You know, you could be a, a like, you know, the wider magic sort of fraternity, if you like, like producers, writers, historians, um, inventors of tricks, you know, not necessarily the performer. Um, so, they, you know, they let all those sorts of people in. You can be honorary members. You can be junior members. 
But they've also they also do magic classes. You can sign up. So uh, let me read you what magic class one is, by the way. These are three hundred and fifty dollars. I couldn't work out if it's because it's it tells you the time. It's like for two hours, but I don't know if it's every week for two hours for a certain amount of time or if it's just two hours. Okay. Magic class one will focus on basic principles of card and coin magic, including forces, controls, and rudimentary palming, as well as discussions involving the history and theory of magic that will allow the student to develop appreciation of the art form. Yeah, that sounds really fancy, good. Uh, fancy getting yourself to LA or you live in America and you want to go and learn some magic. The Magic Castle is the place to be. But both of these companies, Magic Circle, Magic Castle, they both also award awards, don't they? Uh, every year to magician of the year close-up magician of the year stage magician of the year etc etc and they are you know they're, they're the oscars of the magic world if you like yes yeah that's right i read one of theirs in uh, in the magic castle is the comedy magician of the year go on uh, do you know who it good. is or not no no, no I, I i don't know who the current one is but the do you, do you know who some of the the, the current ones are but, I think they've been missing a couple of years, haven't they? Maybe due to the pandemic, but... Yeah, I might be wrong. I'd read they only got to 2019 and there's no 2020 and 2021 because of the pandemic. But yeah, Magician of the Year is a, a the British guy who most of our listeners will have heard of. Devon Brown was Magician yep. of the Year 2019. Um, a close-up Magician of the Year is a guy called Assy Wind. Is he, who... is he the guy who fooled Penn and Teller on their show that you were talking about at the beginning? Well, as close-up magician of the year, I would hope that he does. But yeah, he does. His, yeah, <laughs> you, you watch the YouTube video of his trick um, on Palantella. It's, it's amazing. It's really, really good. So um, that's probably quite a nice segue going into just some general tricks and some of the some of the tricks and other other magicians that are out there that people may or may not have heard about. All right, I'll throw one at you then. A guy called Harry Blackstone Senior. Died 1965. He's an American guy. He's known as the Great Blackstone. Um, he he is very famous for performing and creating which magic trick? Do you reckon? What's a famous mm. one? I don't know. Actually, no, I'm not sure. Sawing a woman in half. Ah, okay. He, with, he also came up with the one where you have a floating light bulb. You might have seen that before, where the light bulb is lit and it floats and it stays alight. Yeah, that's clever. That's a pretty cool trick. Yeah. Anyway, go on. Got any others? Go well, on. I was. I did a little looking into, and it might it might be known by people who are listening. But how they do that whole trick of soaring a person in half is there's a couple of different okay. ways. They quite often they have a box on a table, but you don't realise it's really deceptive that the table is really thick underneath the box. Yeah. So somebody's lying in there, and they're able to scrunch up their legs and um, put themselves into a like a ball almost. And then there's just fake legs pointing out the other end of the box. And then when they saw it in half, they can pull it apart without doing it. What, watch Penn and Teller's version of Saw and a Woman in Half. It's well good. If you're not squeamish, watch it. Um, obviously, they don't really cut, but anyway, go out your way to watch their video of it. It's really, really good. <laughs> yeah, they, they do a good show. I went to a good show of theirs called When Magic Goes Wrong. And they, they do it okay. on there. And um, yeah, the audience, you sort of get covered in a little bit of blood and guts. <laughs> yeah okay um one of the on. magicians that i wanted to talk about is david copperfield he oh yeah is absolutely like incredible in terms of um his notoriety and i'm sure people listening would have heard of david copperfield and one of the things that served him so well 
was we're saying about magic progressing throughout the years. And we had Jean-Eugene Robert Houdin, who brought it into theatres in his class as the, the godfather of magic. We've got David Copperfield, who was the first big TV magician. And some of his tricks are mind-blowing. If you watch them on YouTube, sort of got stuck in a bit of a YouTube rabbit hole this week, watching some of his tricks where he managed to get the Statue of Liberty to disappear. He walked through the Great Wall of China and yeah. he also survived being thrown over the Niagara Falls. Um, but yeah, it was doing these tricks live on TV to yeah, an enormous audience that sort of propelled him into global stardom. He does. Um, so he's got a Las Vegas residency, doesn't he? And we'll, we'll talk about sort of, I guess, the future of magic in just a minute. But um, he, he does 500 shows a year. He's on like two shows a day at his, his residency. He does it at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas, earning between 40, 60 million dollars a year. He's like a billionaire, I think. He's he, this insane. Like, yeah. you know, is magic a dying art? Uh, I don't think he'd say so. You know, and and he's one of he's one of like there's loads of magicians in Vegas who've got residencies. Now, you know, lots and lots of the hotels have got a magician in there who's performing every night. Like you said, I, I was there. We, you know, we went to see Lance Burton, didn't we? Yeah. Uh, while we were there, um, you know, there's loads of magicians there doing stuff. But yeah, he like you were saying, he has certainly, uh, you know, brought it to the masses as far as TV goes. And we've we've sort of touched on a little bit about different types of of magic. And I was, I was reading that between magicians nowadays, being a being the, known as a magician is almost dying out as a little bit of what they want to be known as. And they're, they're more likely that they want to be known as an illusionist. And so you've yeah. got one of them at, that people will again will know of is David Blaine. So he actually classes himself as an illusionist and an endurance entertainer. And he's done some okay. crazy things, hasn't he? So he stayed underwater for seven days. He managed to stay in a plastic box over the Thames in London for 40 days and 40 nights. Um, and he's done he's done some incredible things like sticking nails through his hand and all sorts. But yeah, so he's he's an illusionist and endurance artist. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely true. Absolutely true. Um, I think Darren Brown's similar as well, isn't he? I don't, I'm not sure he calls himself a magician as such, uh, but certainly uses magic theories in his in his shows i think yeah which is certainly true yeah exactly but yeah how, how are they moving it forward then so how how is magic going to survive yeah I, I just sort of looked into like i don't know i was just sort of bumbling around and thinking about is it dying or not and then i thought well you told me you, you know zoom online online magic is a thing isn't it like tricks can happen remotely well you got involved in one didn't you <laughs> yeah so so you were uh, was it was a team building thing, wasn't it? And they had a magician obviously come up on the screen, and the rest of the team all on Zoom because it's everything's remote. And then you randomly phoned me up, and you know, Liam, I'm on this call with this magician, and uh, I'm looking at a playing card. I need you to name me a playing card. Now, obviously, I had nothing to do with this. <laughs> I named a playing card, and it was the one you could see. It must have been the weirdest phone call you've ever got from me. Liam, you, I need yeah. you to just name a playing card. I'm in the middle of a trick over Zoom with a magician in front of me holding up a card. Liam, say a card. Six of clubs. What? How have you just said the card that's on screen? That's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. But also, you know, then I, I thought, I remember there's another magician off of Fool Us, a guy called Shin Lim. 
And I know that he then went on to win America's Got Talent. So I just sort of looked into the, the Got Talent brand. And uh, Series 10 of Britain's Got Talent was a magician. There's been three winners on America's Got Talent, all magicians. Asia's Got Talent has had three series. Two of them were won by magicians. Yeah. Like, that's current. This is, you know, relatively current. Like, you know, like we said, sort of way back at the start, people love magic. It's like when it's done in front of you, you know, there's no screen, there's no internet, there's no, there's no way to find out how it happened. And, and I think people like that. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Just captivates your mind. And like I said, I, I almost like to not know how it's been done and just like appreciate it for the trick and just think that is incredible. There's a nice saying about this, isn't there? About if, if you like what you see or, or don't question it. Yeah. yeah. It's something like for those that don't believe no explanation is necessary, but for those that do believe no explanation is needed. Yeah, that's good. So just explain it then. Yeah. Like, yeah, well, I, I, isn't it like, you know, if you don't believe what I'm doing, if you, if you really don't believe this, then there's no point in me explaining it because you're not going to believe it anyway. If you do believe it, then I've done my job and I don't need to explain it. Yeah. It's something like that, isn't it? And it's, it's yeah, I like it. I, I really like that sort of like innocent, like, I don't know how you've done that. I don't want to know. I mean, like I said at the start, I, I know it's a trick. <laughs> I, I know you've slight of handed that card. I know it's disappeared somewhere. I don't need to know where it's gone. As far as I'm concerned, you're a wizard. <laughs> so where we were saying that there was the book, the, the Discovery of Witchcraft, which was written in 1584 by Reginald Scott, and it then started to freak everyone out and annoy them that the magicians had been deceptive. Why are you tricking us? So, yeah, you're, you're quite yeah. happy with that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm all right with that. I'm, I've got no problems there, as far as I'm concerned. Um, have, you, have you got a takeaway? Yes. Yeah, I have got. So my two guys, one topic takeaway this week is I thought to myself, I'm going to look into why do magicians say the word abracadabra? And oh, nice. there's, a, there's a couple of thoughts behind it. But the main one being is that there are scholars and, and people into magic who support the Hebrew etymology of the word abracadabra say that it's based on the Hebrew ebra. Kadabri. And that means I will create as I speak. And so it's the the act of speaking whilst magical things are happening. So yeah, going way, yeah, way yeah. back, the Hebrew abracadabra is from the Hebrew for Ebra Kadabri. Oh, that's pretty cool. I like that. Yeah, I like that. Hey, hey, you've got you've got your etymology badge times two today. <laughs> well done. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you, boy. Thank you. Go on and let everybody know. What's your two guys one topic takeaway? Mine is just going back to David Copperfield. We were saying okay. earlier about how, you know, he's a big deal in magic. Uh, you know, he does hundreds and hundreds of shows a year. He's earning, he's a billionaire off of magic, right? But this fact blew my mind. He's been doing it for so long. He has sold more tickets to his show than any other performer in any other genre in the world he sold 33 million tickets oh, to wow. shows grossing over four billion dollars <laughs> what 33 million <laughs> tickets have been sold to see him that is unbelievable but i suppose you know if he's doing five six hundred a day at uh, five or six hundred a year you know how many people are in in there there must be a thousand people in a show 
maybe maybe less, maybe like 500. But, you know, that's going to add up real fast. It ain't going to take that many years before you're in the millions, you know? Yes. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That That is incredible how prolific he is as a performer. And, yeah, if you're saying he's doing five or 600 shows a year, that's that's crazy. Wow. Well, we, we know that being a great magician takes a lot of practice. And so he just must be refining his art more and more and just getting better and better at it. Fair play to him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I always think that as magicians get older, like sleight of hand must get more difficult. <laughs> yeah. You know, just with age, like you lose that dexterity, don't you? So, you know, that you could palm a whole deck of cards and hide it behind your little finger when you were 25. Can you still do it when you're 65? <laughs> like, or have you done it so many times that you'll just be able to do it forever? <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? For um for this week then, Liam. So you you're the one who picked this topic. Have you enjoyed it? Could you hold a conversation with somebody about magic now? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think every week I always learn the history of something. You know, I I said when I, I wanted to know about the magic circle, and it turns out I've now learned about the magic circle and the magic castle. Um, I like that. I like my fact about David Copperfield, and I remember that for a long time. Uh but yeah, certainly I certainly can talk about magic. Um do you agree? Do you agree? Same yeah. thing? Yeah, absolutely. And I I found it quite interesting, like how old it goes back. So two and a half thousand BC. And then yeah, coming forward to we definitely know that the Romans were doing some tricks and then it sort of disappeared and just got classed as witchcraft until those books came out around the mid 1500s. And then, yeah, it probably blew up again when that Jean-Eugene Robert Houdin made it mainstream yeah. around the 1800s and brought it into yeah. theatres. Yeah, what, what a good timeline. And, and also, like, you know, why do they wear top hats? Because, yeah. you know, they had to put rabbits in a hat. Or, or, or because that's how they drew people in. Um, but I think more importantly, though, we've got, we need to finish on a, on a bit of an exciting note, because this is my choice, which means next week is your choice. So I think we're going to end up this episode, we'll just end it with you telling me what we're going to talk about next week and giving everybody a little bit of a spoiler. Nice. Okay. So Ollie's choice next week is going to be the International Space Station. Oh, we're going back up to space to learn some more space things. <laughs> I do like space things. <laughs> <laughs> but what we also have is we have a top quality interview lined up for it as well. So we've got somebody who has served as the commander on the International Space Station to verify what? our information. So yeah, no that way. should be interesting. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Aren't a lot of the people on the International Space Station like Russian and Kazakh and things like that? Like, are we going to have to, are they going to understand us? <laughs> yeah, they will. Don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is exciting. Okay. All right. Right then. Well, on that bombshell, I think that's a, a nice time to end. Um, hopefully everybody's enjoyed the episode all about magic and learned a little bit. I hope everybody's looking forward to next week's episode all about the International Space Station. We'll just quickly tack this on at the end though. After next week's episode, we're going to do our listener choice episode. So shortly on Instagram at Two Guys One Topic, we're going to put out some votes and some, you know, some some opportunity for you to suggest topics. And if you'd like to get involved and you'd like to suggest us some topics, please feel free to do so. We will then pick, or, or you guys will vote for the, the best one. And uh, that'll be the episode we do subsequently. But thank you very much, everybody. We will see you or talk to you next week. Get out there and share some magic knowledge.